The following podcast is provided by Athira Pharma and Answers for Elders Radio. And welcome back, everyone, to Answers for Elders Radio. And we are here again with Dr. Vigis. And he is a clinical researcher in, in this wonderful, outside the wonderful city of Brotherly Love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I am so honored, Dr. Verghese, to spend some time with you because of your amazing background in neurology and research. And, um, you know, I, I would love to like be a mouse in the corner when, you know, breakthroughs happen because there's, there, there are things happening every day. Um, uh, to all of our listeners, I'm very, very lucky because through Athera Pharma, I've had an opportunity to interview some of the top doctors in, you know, not only in this country, but in the world. And it's been very, very exciting for me to take the time and talk about, you know, what uh, is being done and how we're, we're making progress. And we really, really, really are. But it also takes... Um, you know, the participation of each and every one of you, if you have a connection to someone with Alzheimer's. And so I want to take Dr. Verghese, welcome back to the show. And certainly I want to talk to you a little bit about clinical trials. Um, you know, we hear about them and people go, oh, that's interesting, but I don't want to be a guinea pig. There's a lot of different kind of hesitancy of what, you know, what's expected of me if I enter a clinical trial. So, you know, can we back up first before we talk a little bit about the specific trials that we want to talk about today? Um, what is involved in a clinical trial? Sure. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot of uh, uh, fear, misconceptions about clinical trials. I speak at many senior centers and retirement communities, and I ask them, what is the, what's the first association with clinical trials? And people will quietly say, hope, new treatments, uh, uh, so on. And I say, okay, tell me what's really in your mind. Then yeah. you hear, guinea pig, guinea pig, guinea pig. Yeah. And mm-hmm. with a kind of embarrassed laugh. And I say, look, the one difference between a guinea pig and a trial participant is that guinea pigs don't consent. Right. Okay. And uh, having been a physician for close to 40 years, I do believe that Folks in clinical trials have a much better understanding of what their disease is, what the treatments will be, what the options are than someone going to an average uh, medical encounter. Right. So the first thing, especially with the uh, the experience with uh, people of color, with the African American community, is that there were bad things that happened. Okay, and there is something called the Tuskegee syphilis study which was conducted, I think, in the 30s and 40s, where uh, poor African-American males, mostly from Tuskegee, Alabama, who had syphilis, were not treated just to see what the outcome of the disease is. And it really is a horrendous thing to do because there were treatments then, and there was nothing great to be learned. We knew everything we had to know about syphilis in the 1800s. So that was a bad thing that happened. Uh, but, you know, if you go back uh, 50, 100 years, lots of bad things happen and society has moved on. We have moved on. We, I believe, have a much more inclusive and uh, uh, participative society. It's not perfect, but we have made a lot of strides. And yeah, particularly absolutely. in the area of uh, 
research, we have a very strong ethical underpinning to what is called the informed consent process. Mm. So anyone who takes part in a clinical trial has to sign, has to be explained uh, the informed consent form. They, and in Alzheimer's studies, their their family member or study partner Mm. will also sign that consent form. So basically Mm. it is appraising people about their condition, their illness, Mm. what this medicine is about, to tell them that this is experimental medicine, Mm -hmm. it is voluntary, you can change your mind anytime, what the side effects are of the drug. There's also a part where, you know, they have the ability to talk to the, like an ombudsman, Mm -hmm. like if they're not happy with the way we are treating them, they can talk to the ethics committee. That's wonderful. And uh, they're also told that if they have a side effect that needs, you know, outside medical care, the sponsor will pay for that. That's and amazing. I've seen yeah. that happen. You know, we've had people with side effects and the sponsor comes in and pays for that. Uh, and that we are not billing their insurance. They don't have a copay. And uh, they can change their mind at any time. Mm-hmm. So it's a very comprehensive document. And it's sure. administered by an ethics committee or an IRB, an institutional review board. And all of this is under the supervision of the Office of Human Research Protection, or OHRP, mm-hmm. which is under the FDA. So right. the line of uh, regulatory control and supervision goes all the way up to the federal government. So I do believe that folks who go to clinical trials have you know, as much information as they need to make up their minds and to withdraw from the study. Right. Want. Right. So when you talk about a study partner, you, you, I zeroed in on that. What is the role of a study partner and who is usually that person? It's someone who spends some time with the patient. Okay. Uh, you know, a spouse, an adult child, it could be a neighbor, it could be a child, it could be uh, a parish nurse who comes and visits them. But look, we are looking at people who have difficulty with their memories. Mm-hmm. So they may forget to take the medicine. They may forget to uh, report if they have a side effect. Uh, so in just the conduct of the study, you need someone on the outside. That's one part. And also the trial partner is someone who will tell us about their functioning at home. Got it. Activities of daily living, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not enough to help them remember a sequence of words or numbers they should be able to look after themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, Medicare is particularly concerned about, do we have to move them to a nursing home? Yeah. You know, is this drug able to keep them from losing their self care? Mm-hmm. Is this drug able to keep them independent? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that information, you know, are they able to get a meal? Are they able to be safe? Can they choose their own clothes? Can they uh, wash and keep, keep themselves sure. clean? Can they, maybe go to a grocery store. All of this information comes from the a family member or a, part, a trial partner. So the trial partner has two roles. One is of giving information on their functioning. And the other is to be there as a second pair of eyes and ears. Well, and I think that's important because I know like with my mom, she had vascular dementia. She, she didn't mm-hmm. have Alzheimer's. But the, the thing that what I found was is that she had a hard time comprehending of like when a doctor would say on a scale from one to 10, how bad does it hurt? 
mom always said it was a four. And even though she was in massive pain, she didn't have the ability to process really mm -hmm. how bad is this? And when, when you're with somebody a lot and you know them intimately, like I did my mom, I knew exactly how much, you know, she needed what we needed to talk about because it, it again, the inability to process and to vocalize what is really going on. Again, we talked about this in the beginning of the, of the show is the fact of, you know, the reticence of, you know, and the hesitancy to, to speak it up because you don't even have, you don't understand what it is that you need. And I think that's having that partner and not going through it alone is really important. Sure. Yeah. And so, also, you know, these are complicated yeah. issues, you know, yeah. an informed Very consent, so. maybe 20 pages, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, I mean, when you give a lot of information, it's also hard to comprehend. So it's important to Absolutely. have someone who can help them with Absolutely. their decision. And, you know, it's hard too because families are struggling. Um, I know for, for, I probably talk to at least one to two families a week who are dealing with, you know, a loved one with Alzheimer's and they don't necessarily know how to help. They don't necessarily know who to call to reach out to. Um, all of those different uh, factors are certainly huge considerations. And so, um, you know, trying to help in the best way possible. It's, it's I'm hopeful that we can do that. So as far as um, when is a good time, I'm just going to throw it out there. When is a good time to reach out for help um, or to acquire about a trial? Uh, early stages, mid stages? I mean, where are we at? On that? It's, it's a very good question. Uh, so right now in the field, we have studies that span the whole spectrum. So this Athera study is for people with mild to moderate dementia who've mm -hmm. already shown that they are having difficulty with self-care. They clearly have memory problems, mm -hmm. disoriented, uh, but not, not at the nursing home level of care where they need everything done for them. Right. But so this drug is meant to help regenerate the brain uh, right. to, uh, to deal with the damage that's already been done. Yeah. Uh, because, so let me go back. So in the field, we have studies that are meant for people who are perfectly normal with no out, outward symptoms. These are called prevention trials. Remember I talked about the one in mm -hmm. three people who are functioning out there yeah. with no symptoms with the amyloid. So this is meant to take out that amyloid or counteract that amyloid in people who have not yet manifested symptoms. The most important area is the people with what is called mild cognitive impairment uh, who just have short-term memory problems. You mentioned, you know, ask a question again or repeating yourself, telling the same story again, mm -hmm. uh, you know, forgetting mon the, the things that people forget first are mundane everyday things, yeah. not important things. See, because our brains, our minds uh, give more value to emotionally important mm -hmm. things. Uh, if I ask you, you know, where did you celebrate your birthday last year? You probably will remember. But if I asked you what you wore last Tuesday, you'll certainly not remember. No. Most likely. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So it's the mundane things that we forget yeah. first. And that can often be confused for a senior moment. Yeah, like yeah. I have a lecture that I have entitled Senior Moment or Alzheimer's Disease. Wow. 
Wow. So it's forgetting things, repeating yourself, needing to use your cell phone. People now use this as a, what I call the peripheral brain. Yeah. Uh, as soon as they know they have to do something, they'll put it in the cell phone, which will remind you so that short-term memory aspect yeah. is taken over by your cell phone. Yeah. Okay for functioning, but it delays diagnosis. So for those of you that are interested in a trial, um, mm-hmm. go to www.lift, that's L-I-F-T, and there's a hyphen, A-D, which is stands for Alzheimer's disease.com, um, lift-ad.com. And we're going to come back this very last segment. Um, what's available right now? How can you get involved and get your loved one involved? Um, and let's find a cure um, for this disease. And Dr. Regis and I will be right back right after this. The preceding podcast was provided by Athera Pharma and Answers for Elders Radio. For more information about the Alzheimer's clinical trial, go to atheraclinicaltrials.com. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.